Welcome to My Property World, a light and informative look at all things property. We have designed this series for people involved in property and property finance in the UK market. However, we do take examples from all around the property world. Our aim is for us to make money from property together. Whether that be buying, selling, financing, trading or getting involved in a deal in another way. We do this by informing, entertaining and enjoying ourselves talking property, which gives you a chance to get to know us, what we're up to and to check us out until you're ready to make money together. In the meantime, My Property World is free and fun, so plug in your headphones and enjoy. We would love for you to like, share and comment, so please do on social media. And if you have questions, ideas for topics or deals you would like to explore, we're always looking for guests, so get in touch via the My Property World profile. Hello and welcome to another episode of My Property World. I'm joined by the author of the Sunday Supplement, uh, which is a, uh, a property economics commentary piece that Adam Lawrence puts together on a weekly basis. Um, he's been doing it for, must be a couple of years now, is it, Adam? That's about right, Will. Two, two and a half years, yeah. Yeah, uh, it's one of my favourite pieces of reading in in the week, um, and you can find it on the partners-property.com blog. Um, so look, look it up, partners-property.com. So Adam, um, for those of you who aren't familiar with him, is a prolific property investor. Uh, he's involved in a number of... Um, uh, property services related ventures in addition to a portfolio of over 500 properties including over 300 refurbishment projects he's also involved in some larger deals um, and is, is one of the co-founders of partners and property so uh, without much further ado adam uh, let's let's get into today's sunday supplement uh, and for those of you who are listening at some point in the future uh, it's referring to one on the 9th of October 2022. Thanks very much, Will. Thanks for having me again, of course, as usual. So, you know, I like to start off with a quote. And this week's quote is, the individual has always had to struggle to keep from being overwhelmed by the tribe. If you try it, you will be lonely often and sometimes frightened. But no price is too high to pay for the privilege of owning yourself. And that's Friedrich Nietzsche, the German philosopher. So, welcome everyone. This week I wanted to make a particular feature of the phenomenon of benchmarking because I'm seeing it all around us on social media and getting a lot of messages that are falling foul of this very typical human trait. This is where sometimes consciously, but most often subconsciously, we measure things by having a false, out of date or unhelpful frame of reference and then get stuck or make bad decisions on the back of it. It is absolutely rife at the moment. We humans are flawed beings, and by understanding a little more about that, we can improve our decision-making significantly. Before we get stuck into that, however, a quick roundup of what's been happening this week. And that, that's a, it's a great topic, like because ultimately buying is comparing, and how do you how do you compare what you're, you know, you, you could be doing, should be doing, would have done, might have done. Uh, and that, that concept of benchmarking, it's very rarely talked about in the detail that your article does today. Thanks, Will. Thanks. So, first of all, the pound has calmed somewhat. 
according to the press, because of the symbolic U-turn performed by the government on the abolition of the higher rate of taxation, the 45% rate. And whilst there's an element of truth to this, the vast majority of the movement in the currency this week is better explained by what's happened in the USA. Now, I think, you know, Will, I'm quite keen on looking at what's happening in the States in general, because apart from anything else, in the pandemic economic cycle, they are ahead of the UK. They moved more quickly and they still are moving more quickly than the UK has done. So it's a fairly common event these days that the labour market in both the US and the UK is returning figures that are far better than expected. This week wasn't particularly different. The US added 263,000 non-farm jobs to respective payrolls in total in September. Farms are not counted for seasonality reasons, of course. And although the forecast was 250,000, the expectation seemed to be that the forecast would be missed. More significantly, these jobs moved the percentage unemployed down from 37 to 3.5%. So the big news was not really the number of jobs created, but the number of people effectively leaving the labour market. And 3.5% is a very low number indeed. This news made the dollar stronger. Why? Well, the logic is <clears throat> the central bank can afford to raise the interest rates even more because one of the things that stops them from raising the rates is unemployment, which falls under their sort of secondary remit to curate economic stability. It also shaved the edge off a stock market that was enjoying what looks like yet another bear market rally. <clears throat> Earlier in the week, stocks were moving upwards and the currency weakening, which is making the pound look good. On a number of metrics, the pound still looks exceptionally good value against the dollar, which should be a positive case for investment from the US to the UK, although a negative case for imports from the US, of course. The bond and gilt markets were calmer thanks to the ripples of the Bank of England interventions from the week before. And the real point around the U-turn was not the two and a half billion uncosted or so that it adds back to the fiscal pot. There's still 43 billion to explain from the fiscal event. But that despite a significant majority, the Conservative backbenches will clearly rebel as necessary if they see the Trust administration making what they deem to be significant errors. I think this is sensible, and it definitely made me feel a little better about what looks like the weakest team in 10 and 11 Downing Street for some decades. So uh, it is, is concerning, though, that you're, you're relying on the hundreds of backbenchers uh, rather than the uh, people that are supposed to be the captains of the ship. Yes, but then ultimately checks and balances are in place for a reason. So when you have a Donald Trump, for example, in the States, um, there's a relatively limited amount he can actually do, even though the president is the most powerful person in the world. <clears throat> so we do we do have to um, we do have to rely on those checks and balances sometimes. But yeah, we don't. It's not leadership, will. It's not it's not a, a, a hallmark of great leadership. That much we can definitely agree on. Hmm. Um, so market expectations of the base rate calmed down to around five point six percent, down from six and even six point five at some points of the week before, and the bank seems very convinced that we will not see a world with base above six. Six is still danger zone territory for me. And I still think that we have not seen the full story as yet about inflation in the UK and its persistence. But the world looks much more in tune with that now, even if recent moves in the base rate have been more about the UK and the guilt rate, sorry, have been more about the UK as a credit risk 
and the competence of the trust administration. One way or another, we are getting to the correct destination, even if the methodology is different from that which I expected. And if you could just explicitly state the correct uh, destination in this context uh, for, well, for people not familiar with uh, macroeconomics. Sure. So we have to control inflation. Um, that's the bank's raison d'etre. Um, we're facing the biggest challenges we've faced for 40 years on an inflationary front in a world where we got very used to the bigger challenge being getting inflation up to the 2% target and having a healthy enough economy to, to generate that. Um, so that's the correct destination, getting that back in and around, first of all, under 5% and then back to target realistically, which is 2%. So also we had a few hairs split over whether the UK grew or not in Q2 of this year. We've ended up at 0.1% growth rather than 0.2% contraction, which was the last estimated figure. That means we cannot reach a technical recession until New Year's Eve this year. And we will not know those figures for absolute sure until around early April 2023. Although if they're significantly different from zero, say half a percent down, we won't need to wait for the formalisation of the numbers. We will know around February 2023 time. Either way, I think we can agree that if we're slumming around zero percent growth, we're not in great shape. And we've definitely seen the end of the bounce back post pandemic. Headlines have also continued around a stuttering market for housing. Halifax revealed their September numbers showing a 0.1% contraction. Nationwide, whose figures were out the week before, because they're always first to market, um, showed no movement at all for September. The number of transactions falling through was advertised, in a bearish fashion, of course, at 29%, although this remains below the long-term average of 33%. Personally, I'd be expecting more transactions to stay together than normal, as the four to five months worth of people transacting on yesterday's mortgage rates try to hold on to their much more affordable deals in spite of uncertainty about the market. As usual, a number of commentators decided to try and talk the market down, but also as usual, I prefer simply to look at the data and ignore the noise. I don't think there's many reasons to be overly positive about upward pricing, although inflation and specifically wage inflation are still moving forwards, which is a positive, Likewise, I'm not seeing crash territory. More expensive mortgages are no doubt damaging, but not as damaging as the withdrawal of mortgages never to be seen again, as we saw with self-certification and over 95% LTV products being withdrawn in 2008. So I want to move on to the meat of today. Um, I'm a big self-declared fan of behavioral science and understanding more about ourselves as ultimately deeply flawed human beings. We assume Always a great start point. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit of self-deprecation does everybody some good on a Sunday, Will, doesn't it? Let's face it. Um, you know, we assume things, we're over-optimistic, we overreact. And to focus on today, we benchmark. That means we look at something, often a number, and use that as our guide. There will be many who have seen what's happened to property prices over the past two and a half years, for example and expect that to be the relative norm for prices going forwards. Those of us a little more sanguine know that's not the case, and actually also know that breakneck speed capital rises are not good for us and not good for the market, because that is what can lead to a major correction or crash if it goes on for too long. So kicking off with buyer's remorse, 
um, benchmark can, benchmarking can be unhelpful and if left unchecked an outright danger to ourselves. This is manifesting itself in different ways at the moment and I want to cover a few of them. Firstly, buyer's remorse. This is when we've missed an opportunity with the benefit of hindsight, of course. And so because we've missed it, it means we make further bad decisions because we could have done this or that some time ago. We all know that we can't change the past. And in this specific example, if you didn't fix that mortgage at three and a half percent or whatever you could have done, then that's regrettable, of course. But that shouldn't stop you fixing at 5.1% today if it means you can hold on to the asset and get through the rocky period we have coming up. Rod Turner released a great broadcast this week with Mike Kovach of Castle Forge Partners. He framed this beautifully. When a recession comes, the number one job that you have is holding on to the asset. Beyond that is both safety and luxury. Many will not be able to hold on to their assets over the upcoming 18 months. Your role should be to ensure that you can hold on to yours and also then to put yourself in a position to buy any good value assets that you can. Alongside this, Mike raised another great point, which I just wanted to temporarily segue into. There's a number of assets today that are not underwater. And by underwater, I mean there's more debt against them than their value. And they're unlikely to be underwater. They might have loans against them, however, that might prove difficult to service in a 6% base rate environment. And there's a significant number of these assets. This is a really stark difference from 2008 from the lender's perspective, because instead of having lent 31 million against a 30 million pound asset, which was not uncommon at the time, they might have lent 15 million against that same 30 million asset. And if the price did drop to 25 million or 20 million, then there's still plenty of headroom to call that loan in. Taking possession is a much easier decision as a lender than it was in the Great Recession of 2008 to 9. And this should be an alarm bell to anyone lulled into a false sense of security or indeed benchmarking by the lack of repossession activity over the past two and a half years. So from buyer's remorse to a phenomenon that informs today's quote, and is one of the most very dangerous things I see in property and life in general, benchmarking yourself against others. I think you know, Will, we talk quite a lot about placing the right people around you. We're both huge advocates of that um, in a positive way. You know, you should be drawing inspiration, support, tips, energy, and many other positive things from doing this. Not be jealous, demoralised or deflated by the success of others. Firstly, if you're reading it on social media, rather than seeing it in real life. Remember that a huge pinch of salt is best taken alongside some of the broad claims that are often made. Secondly, if you need to train your mind to be more supportive and adopt a philosophy of abundance, then I think you should do so and get on with it from today. The UK property market is worth over 10 trillion pounds. And by anyone's metrics, that's enough to go around, more than enough. One thousandth of 1% of that is 100 million pounds which puts things into perspective if you need it, I hope. This is not a trap you want to be falling into. I prefer the analogy of being a better person than you were yesterday. That's the benchmark, keeping the train on the tracks and moving forwards, not sideways or back. This is a frame of benchmarking that I'm happy to engage in. And I think that's an absolutely fantastic line, um, being a better person than you were yesterday. Um, I'll just underline that uh, in the podcast. So well done. Thanks, Will. Thank you.
So as we move onwards then with benchmarking, I'm still seeing and hearing some fairly concerning chat around the interest rate, which needs to be addressed in this conversation. Again, this is being benchmarked against the interest rate since 2009, which was the lowest rate in over 300 years of central banking around the world. Let me be very clear on this point. In my view, the days of ultra cheap rates are over. The spectre of inflation, poorly understood, poorly managed and still rampaging through household affordability has put paid to that. The belief is very much that whatever pain is inflicted by controlling inflation is pain we must take rather than the pain that a long-standing inflation over the target figure can and would cause. Although in reality, 3% inflation would not be the worst thing in the world, especially for property investors. So this is not a cycle that looks something like the US attempted tightening cycles of the 2010s, where they reverse direction when the stock market starts to fall. Just look at the US markets around 3,700 for the S&P 500, which did touch 4,800 at the start of this year. Previous moves by the Federal Reserve have pivoted long before that level has been reached in the market. The single difference being the presence of significant inflation. We're unlikely to go back to days with 3% mortgage rates. I hope you got as many as you could and frame them on the wall. If we do go back to those days, it means we've had a significantly negative financial event, which would almost certainly be accompanied by a 10% or more move downwards in property prices. So be careful what you wish for. The sensible range for longer term base is between two and three and a half percent, in my view. Although I'd be stunned if we didn't go higher before we come back down to those levels. That will see mortgage rates that look more like the earlier part of the 2010s, where four to five percent is fairly common. Two years should be enough to see us back there. Although if you were taking some insurance, three years might be a sensible time period to pick. So don't benchmark against the last 13 years of interest rates. The world has changed yet again. I've observed since the pandemic a number of changes which are not positive. For example, regardless of your views around the pandemic response around the world, any but the very most hardened conspiracists appreciate that there is a new pathogen around and thus there's another way for people to die. They might die from the disease itself. They might also die from the way the disease was managed and is being managed. China will be the greatest example of this as the country that is carrying on with zero COVID policies long after it appears that the virus has, in its most common form, become far less deadly than the early days of the pandemic. This is hard to swallow and a bit miserable, but what we can't do is benchmark today's world against 2019, much as we would like to, and much as we like fluff and safety as human beings. So while we linger on the subject of benchmarking, Will, there's one more lesson to revise here. Don't benchmark against returns from the past couple of years. If you've been in the property market, this has been the equivalent of what poker players call getting hit in the face by the deck. This is when you're dealt cards that are so good, even an idiot or an unskilled player can win games against people with far greater skill sets. The underlying market has moved up 26% between March 20 and July 22. Those figures are from the Office for National Statistics House Price Index. I think the phrase you're looking for is if you can walk and chew gum, you could have made property uh, profits in the last couple of years. <laughs> exactly right, Will, exactly right. And that, that growth, that 26%, is about 20% more growth than happened between January 15 and March 20. 
Thanks for dispelling um, my my um, own self worth uh, just just like that. <laughs> That's what the podcast is all about, Will. Right. Um, <laughs> so it doesn't matter that we all should have bought more if we stop and think. We all know that to be the case anyway. The best time was thirty years ago. The second best time is now, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Those are not sustainable, expected, or realistic capital growth figures in today's world. They've happened. And for those of us with meaningful exposure to the market, that's been great. Instead, what we always need to do in these situations is to compare investment opportunities to whatever is out there today. So this leads on to another interesting point. It is not hard to return around 4.5% per year buying government gilts at the moment. This is what we call the risk-free rate of return. The government never goes bust until it does, of course, but I'm being flippant there generally. So if we're taking extra risk and or making extra effort, then we need rewarding for that. We have to benchmark today's investment decisions against what else we could do today or else pay the price for doing nothing, which is inflation and opportunity cost. Forget what's gone before. We expect house prices in the long term to move upwards at around 3 to 4% per year, if we're sensible, accepting that many years will not see a return in that range but that will be the average over the 10, 20, 30 plus years that we hold that asset. That brings us back to Mike Kovacs' point around staying in the game. Rule one needs to be staying in the game. Once you've stopped the ride, it can be difficult to get back on unless you've reached your enough and forecasted that you can live off the 4.5% from the government for the rest of your days, of course. As we're talking now, Will, the 25-year guilt is 4.54%. And the 50 year is at 4%. So that's our little taster of behavioral science. Why it's so important, in my view, in running any business and a bit more on what not to do and how not to handle the upcoming recession and the associated property market. Next week, we'll change tack again. And I'm hoping for limited government gaffes to write about, although I'm not taking any bets on that one, Will, I'm afraid. <laughs> For those of you listening at another time, there's been an incredible roller coaster over the last couple of weeks. Um, uh, U-turns, back and forths, up and downs, um, epic stuff uh, for for the media. So, <laughs> Adam G. Lawrence, look him up on LinkedIn. Um, once again, many thanks. I'm Will Mallard. This is My Property World Podcast. Uh, talk again soon. Thanks for having me again, Will. Welcome to My Property World, a light and informative look at all things property. We have designed this series for people involved in property and property finance in the UK market. However, we do take examples from all around the property world. Our aim is for us to make money from property together. Whether that be buying, selling, financing, trading or getting involved in a deal in another way. We do this by informing, entertaining and enjoying ourselves talking property, which gives you a chance to get to know us, what we're up to and to check us out until you're ready to make money together. In the meantime, My Property World is free and fun, so plug in your headphones and enjoy. We would love for you to like, share and comment, so please do on social media. And if you have questions, ideas for topics or deals you would like to explore, we're always looking for guests, so get in touch via the My Property World profile.